Hi, this is Scott Sischerer, Deputy Editor of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice, and I'm excited to present the highlights of our January 2022 issue where the theme is food allergy. We want to thank editorial board members Peter Arkwright and Jennifer Copland for doing a fantastic job coordinating this theme issue and for contributing a theme editorial that wonderfully summarizes and contextualizes the reviews in this issue and the theme of food allergy in general. There are five reviews in this issue. The first looks into food allergy diagnostics. The next looks at food anaphylaxis fatalities and distinguishing fact from fiction. The next takes a deep dive into oral immunotherapy for food allergy. The next is a Grand Rounds review that focuses on multiple food allergies and how to manage this with additional food aversions. And lastly, there's a controversies article that looks at managing food allergy when the patient is not highly allergic. The first four of these five reviews come with CME opportunities, so don't forget about that. The issue also has two rostra, one about using PINA as a reference allergen for hazard characterization and food allergy risk management, and the other looks at PINA allergy prevention six years after the LEAP study. This issue also has a Quad AI workgroup report entitled Food Insecurity in the Food Allergic Population, a workgroup report for the Quad AI, from the Quad AI Adverse Reactions to Foods Committee. And I want to point out that there, this issue has several other articles having to do with health disparity, including in food allergy. And it also has one of our new case series about health disparities as well. Next, I'm going to summarize the full-length original articles that are in the issue, and these are going to cover areas of COVID-19, food allergy, which in also includes a lot of uh, clinical communication articles, asthma, dermatitis, drug allergy, immunodeficiency, and urticaria. The first article is entitled COVID-19 Pandemic-Related Reductions in Pediatric Asthma Exacerbations Corresponded with an overall decrease in respiratory viral infections by Syed et al. What's already known about this topic? Although respiratory viruses, air pollution, and aeroallergens are implicated in worsening pediatric asthma symptoms, the interplay between these factors and asthma exacerbations is not well understood. Asthma exacerbations decreased significantly during the coronavirus disease 2019 pandemic, allowing the investigation of these asthma triggers relative to asthma activity. What does this article add to our knowledge? The sustained reductions in viral infections and acute asthma activity we observed during the coronavirus disease 2019 pandemic support a strong link between res respiratory virus infections and pediatric asthma exacerbations. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Our findings suggest that viral respiratory infections are a primary driver of pediatric asthma exacerbations and that preventative measures taken to control exposure to these viruses may help limit exacerbating asthma symptoms. Next article, Prescribing Patterns and Treatment Adherence in Patients with Asthma During the COVID-19 Pandemic by Drew Vidal. What's already known about this topic? A reduction in asthma exacerbations has been recorded over the COVID-19 pandemic. It is unknown whether the, there was a change in medication use over the first year of the pandemic compared with the previous year. How does the article add to our knowledge? The COVID-19 pandemic has witnessed an improvement in adherence to inhaled corticosteroids, a reduction in salbutamol use, and an increase in prescription of peak flow meters for home monitoring compared with the previous year. How does the study impact management guidelines? 
ongoing efforts to improve inhaled corticosteroid adherence, reduce reliance on salbutamol, and use of peak flow meters for remote monitoring and self-management of asthma are needed. The next article entitled, General Stress Among Young Adults with Asthma During the COVID-19 Pandemic by Ekstrom et al. What's already known about this topic? The coronavirus disease 2019 pandemic has profoundly affected the lives of the global population. Little is known on how the pandemic has affected anxiety and stress in young adults and the influence of asthma and allergic rhinitis. What does the article add to our knowledge? Young adults with asthma expressed more coronavirus disease 2019 related concerns about their own health, reported more contact with online health care, and more perceived stress than did participants without asthma, especially females and young adults with uncontrolled asthma. How does a study impact current management guidelines? Health caregivers should be aware of the increased levels of stress and health concerns related to the pandemic and offer appropriate support to young individuals with asthma. The next article is entitled, Mask Use Experiences COVID-19 and Adults with Asthma a Mixed Methods Approach by Polifka et al. What's already known about this topic? Masks reduce the risk of COVID-19 by providing a barrier between the wearer and others to reduce the spread of respiratory droplets and by reducing the inhalation of these droplets by the wearer themselves. What does the article add to our knowledge? Most adults with asthma reported wearing a mask in public places. Lower asthma control and longer daily mask wearing were associated with more self-reported problems with wearing masks. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Participants recommended just wear it to increase wearability using a comfortable mask that fits, staying calm, breathing slowly and deeply were recommended. Recommendations also included taking safe, quote unquote, mask breaks when needed. The next article is entitled, Impact of Allergic Rhinitis and Asthma on COVID-19 Infection, Hospitalization, and Mortality by Ren et al. What's already known about this topic? In different studies, whether asthma and allergic rhinitis acts as independent risk factors for coronavirus disease 2019 remains controversial. What does this article add to our knowledge? Allergic rhinitis in all ages and asthma for age less than 65 act as protective factors against COVID-19 infection whereas asthma increases the risk for hospitalizations. None of the long-term medications had a significant association with infection, severity, and mortality of COVID-19 among patients with allergic rhinitis and or asthma. How does the study impact current management guidelines? We provided new insights on the association between allergic disease and COVID-19 prevalence and outcomes. We suggested that more attention should be paid to the education and primary care of elderly asthmatic patients diagnosed with COVID-19, including active treatment of comorbidities. The next, title, next article is titled, COVID-19 Symptoms Are Attenuated in Moderate to Severe Atopic Dermatitis Patients Treated with Dupilumab by Ungar et al. What's already known about this topic? Preliminary data suggest increased type 2 cytokines during the COVID-19 cytokine storm. However, it remains unclear how COVID-19 outcomes differ between patients with atopic dermatitis, AD, on type 2 targeting agents, dupilumab, and those treated with other systemics or topical treatments. What does this article add to our knowledge? This is the first study to directly compare the severity of COVID-19 symptoms in patients with moderate to severe AD on different treatments, shedding important light on the treatment of patients with AD during the pandemic and beyond. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Our results suggest that type 2 targeting with dupilumab may attenuate COVID-19 responses. 
supporting the safety of specific type 2 targeting agents in patients with AD during the COVID-19 pandemic and potentially extending to other viral infections. The next article is entitled, Eosinophilic Esophagitis Patients Are Not an Increased Risk of Severe COVID-19, a report from a global registry by Zevit et al. What's already known about this topic? No data has been published on the outcome of coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19, in eosinophilic esophagitis, EOE, eosinophilic gastrointestinal diseases, EGID, patients. What does the article add to our knowledge? COVID-19 severity in EOE patients appears to be comparable to that of the general population. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Eosinophilic esophagitis or eosinophilic gastrointestinal disease patients with COVID-19 may be managed following guidelines for the general population. The next article is entitled Doses of Specific Allergens in Early Introduction Foods for Prevention of Food Allergy by Philip et al. What's already known about this topic? Consumption of food allergens such as peanut and egg in infancy can prevent the development of food allergy. What does the article add to our knowledge? The article reports the concentration and dose of 18 major food allergens in commercial early introduction foods that are promoted as aids to prevent food allergy. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Variability in allergen concentrations and dose in early introduction foods highlights the need for improved standardization and quality control of these foods. The next article is entitled, Development of the Child and Parent Rated Scales of Food Allergy Anxiety which is abbreviated SOFA, S-O-F-F, I'm sorry, S-O-F-A-A, by Dalsgaard et al. What's already known about this topic? Anxiety may complicate the clinical presentation of youth with food allergy, increase condition-specific burden and worsen quality of life. Recent reviews have identified the absence of a validated measure of food allergy anxiety in this population as an unmet need. What does this article add to our knowledge? A broad measure of condition-specific anxiety for youths with food allergy has been developed and shows construct, convergent, and divergent validity, internal consistency, and test-retest reliability. How does the study impact current management guidelines? This scale of food allergy anxiety may be used to screen children at risk for excessive food allergy anxiety, guide behavioral health interventions in this population, establish a severity threshold for eligibility, and evaluate outcomes in a clinical trial. The next article is entitled, Early Discontinuation of Cow's Milk Protein Ingestion is Associated with the Development of Cow's Milk Allergy by Sakihara et al. What's already known about the topic? Supplementing breastfeeding with cow's milk formula in the first few days of life can increase the risk of cow's milk allergy, but little is known about the effects of discontinuing cow's milk formula ingestion. How does this article add to our knowledge? Early discontinuation of cow's milk formula ingestion, particularly in the first month of life, may increase the risk of cow's milk allergy in infants who receive cow's milk formula in the first three days of life. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Continuous cow's milk formula ingestion over the first month of life may represent a potential method for preventing cow's milk allergy development in early exposed infants. The next article is entitled, Access to Allergen-Free Foods Among Black and White Children with Food Allergy in the Forward Study by Coleman et al. What's already known about this topic? Previous studies have shown that disproportionate morbidity exists among black children with food allergies compared with white children with food allergies. What does the article add to our knowledge? Race, socioeconomic status, and access to online food purchasing are identifiable predictors of access to allergen-free foods in children living with food allergies. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Understanding the social determinants of health, 
such as access to allergen-free foods, should guide clinical practice and management of food avoidance by providing equitable resources for patients to access allergen-free foods. The next article is entitled, Combining Allergen Components Improves the Accuracy of Peanut Allergy Diagnosis by Hemmings et al. What's already known about this topic? Specific IgE to peanut components, particularly ARAH2, can be more accurate than specific IgE to peanut extract. What does the article add to our knowledge? Combining specific IgE to various peanut allergens or combining functional characteristics of IgE can improve the diagnostic accuracy of individual component-specific IgE or peanut-specific IgE levels, respectively. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Online calculators available to clinicians to calculate the probability of peanut allergy based on a combination of IgE to peanut allergens or of functional characteristics of peanut-specific IgE can aid clinical decision-making. The next article is entitled, Increase in Epinephrine Administration for Food-Induced Anaphylaxis in Pediatric Emergency Departments from 2007 to 2015 by Kim et al. What's already known about this topic? Food allergic reactions are the leading cause of anaphylaxis seen in the emergency department ED. Epinephrine is underused in the treatment of anaphylaxis, especially in the pediatric population. What does this article add to our knowledge? Epinephrine administration for cases of food-induced anaphylaxis in the pediatric emergency department is increasing over time, even after adjusting for demographic factors and severity. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Clinician awareness of the proper use of epinephrine for anaphylaxis may be increasing, reflecting the importance of continued advocacy for the optimal management of food-induced anaphylaxis. The increase in food allergic reactions over time highlights the need to further explore strategies for proper recognition and administration of epinephrine for anaphylaxis. The next article is entitled, A Prospective Assessment of Clinical Characteristics and Responses to Dietary Elimination in Food Protein-Induced Allergic Proctocolitis by Unconglu et al. What's already known about this topic? Diagnosis of food protein-induced allergic proctocolitis is based on symptom response to sequential elimination challenge diets. What does the article add to our knowledge? Prospectively structured diagnostic dietary steps identify a tendency to transient bleeding before two months of age, prolonged presence of mucus in stool even if blood disappears, recovery time with elimination for each symptom, and atopic dermatitis as a risk factor for multiple food allergies. How does the study impact current management guidelines? A two-week duration of elimination for blood in stool is sufficient to form a judgment of suspected foods. Concurrent atopic dermatitis suggests a high probability of multiple allergies. Mucus in stool is the last symptom to disappear and should not affect diagnostic decisions alone. The next article is entitled, Elevated Calcimoke-Specific Ig Levels Prior to Oral Immunotherapy Decrease the Likelihood of Reaching the Maintenance Dose by Cohen et al. What is already known about this topic? Owing to adverse reactions throughout treatment, the duration of cow's milk oral immunotherapy until a maintenance dose is achieved varies considerably across patients. It is unclear what clinical factors affect this variability. What does the article add to our knowledge? This study assesses what effects sociodemographic factors, comorbidities, clinical characteristics, and biomarkers at study entry may have on the likelihood of reaching maintenance in cow's milk oral immunotherapy. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The specific IgE profile and cumulative dose of cow's milk tolerated at entry challenge affect the likelihood of reaching maintenance. 
Assessing these factors before therapy can contribute to counseling families and allocating adequate resources properly. The next article is entitled Omalizumab in Asthma with Fixed Airway Obstruction Post Hoc Analysis of Extra by Hanania et al. What's already known about this topic? Fixed airflow obstruction in patients with asthma has been associated with reduced responsiveness to asthma medications. What does the article add to our knowledge? Omalizumab reduced exacerbations in patients with high bronchodilator reversibility and fixed airflow obstruction and improved lung function in patients without fixed airflow obstruction and high bronchodilator reversibility. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Identifying patient characteristics associated with improved outcomes with omalizumab may help to define patient populations that are more likely to derive benefit from omalizumab. The next article is entitled, Self-Reported Physical Activity and Asthma Risk in Children by Lou et al. What's already known on this topic? In general, physical activity is important for healthy growth and development for children, but it is a common trigger of asthma symptoms. What does the article add to our knowledge? The study shows that different levels of physical activity are associated with asthma risk in children and adolescents. How does the study impact current management guidelines? These findings emphasize the need to assess physical activity levels in children when considering asthma risk. The next article is entitled The Relationship Between Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder and Self-Management Behaviors in World Trade Center Workers with Asthma by Wisniewski et al. What's already known about this topic? Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, is associated with increased asthma morbidity in World Trade Center workers, but the underlying pathways are unknown. What does this article add to our knowledge? We found that self-management behaviors are not different in World Trade Center workers with and without PTSD, suggesting that other factors such as symptom perception or immunologic pathways may explain this relationship. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The study points to the need for additional research evaluating biological differences in World Trade Center workers with asthma and PTSD. The next article is, Residual Volume Responsiveness Testing May Improve the Detection of Reversible Airway Obstruction in Asthma by Vempili et al. What's already known about this topic? Residual volume re responsiveness to albuterol has been observed to be useful in detecting reversible airway obstruction and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. However, the prevalence and magnitude of residual volume, or RV, responsiveness testing has not been formally studied in asthma. What does this article add to our knowledge? The study showed that bronchodilator responsiveness by RV was present in a sizable proportion of subjects with physician-diagnosed asthma whereas the baseline forced expiratory volume in one second or FEV1 value influenced the degree of FEV1 responsiveness, the baseline value of RV did not much influence the degree of RV responsiveness. In addition, 36% more subjects were identified to have reversible airway obstruction using RV responsiveness to albuterol administration. Finally, the asthma symptom score had a significant association with the magnitude of RV responsiveness, but not with FEV1 responsiveness. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The addition of RV responsiveness testing can improve the yield of detecting reversible airway obstruction in asthma. Including RV responsiveness testing protocol can reduce the number of subjects referred for bronchial challenge testing. RV responsiveness may be used for monitoring the asthma symptoms associated with air trapping. The next article is entitled, Atopic Eczema Associated Fracture Risk in Oral Corticosteroids, a Population-Based Cohort Study by Matthewman et al. 
what's already known about this topic. Adults with atopic eczema, especially those with severe atopic eczema, are at increased risk of major osteoporotic fracture. However, it's unclear what drives this association. What does the article add to our knowledge? The association between atopic eczema and major osteoporotic fractures cannot be explained by oral corticosteroid use. How does the study impact management guidelines? Atopic eczema, especially severe atopic eczema, should be considered for inclusion in fracture risk screening guidelines. The next article is entitled Drug Reaction with Eosinophilia and Systemic Symptoms, or DRESS, series of 49 French pediatric cases by Bedou et al. What's already known about this topic? Drug reaction with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms, or DRESS, is rare and potentially fatal adverse reaction. It can be difficult to diagnose, even more so among children, because symptoms may mimic other commonly encountered pediatric conditions. What does the article add to our knowledge? This case series shows that clinical and biological characteristics of dress in the pediatric population are similar to those of adults. The onset of first symptoms can be less than two weeks after treatment starts, especially with antibiotics. How does the study impact current management guidelines? Treatment with topical corticosteroids appears to be sufficient in the least severe cases. Patch tests confirm the imputability of the molecule in most tested cases. The next article is entitled Deep Neural Network for Early Image Diagnosis of Stevens-Johnson Syndrome Toxic Epidermal Necrolysis by Fujimoto et al. What's already known about the topic? Primary care physicians in most medical facilities rely on clinical information when Stevens-Johnson Syndrome SJS, TEN, is suspected. No artificial intelligence tools have been developed to assist in the diagnosis of SGS TEN. What does this article add to our knowledge? We have developed the first deep convolutional neural network, and this is abbreviated DCNN, for the image diagnosis of cutaneous adverse drug reactions. In addition to clinical information as a diagnostic test, the DCNN may provide useful supportive data for a comprehensive diagnosis. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The DCNN demonstrated superior performance in screening for SJSTEN compared with dermatologists. Using the DCNN routinely in the diagnosis of cutaneous adverse drug reactions can reduce the burden on patients and physicians. The next study is entitled Trends in Pediatric Primary Immunodeficiency, Incidence, Utilization, Transplantation, and Mortality by Edens et al. What's already known about this topic? The number of described primary immunodeficiencies is increasing. Incidence of primary immunodeficiency has not yet been studied on a national level. Prior inpatient database studies demonstrated prevalence and stable mortality rates of primary immunodeficiency patients. What does this article add to our knowledge? The incidence of pediatric primary immunodeficiency is 2.8 per 1,000 hospital discharges. Diagnosis of B-cell disorders increased. T-cell diagnoses had the highest healthcare utilization. Mortality is decreasing in the primary immunodeficiency population. How does the study impact current management guidelines? The current study highlights several key trends in the pediatric primary immunodeficiency population, including stable incidence, increasing healthcare utilization, decreasing complications following hematopoietic stem cell transplantation, and decreasing mortality. The final study is entitled, Impact of Pharmacological Treatments for Chronic Spontaneous Urticaria with an Inadequate Response to H1 Antihistamines on Health-Related Quality of Life, a Systematic Review and Network Meta-Analysis by Noshuang et al. What's already known about this topic? 
several pharmacological treatments for H1 antihistamine refractory chronic spontaneous urticaria have been available, but their impact on patient-reported outcomes, including health-related quality of life, is unclear. What does this article add to our knowledge? Based on the best available evidence synthesis, legalizumab 72 or 240 milligrams and 300 milligrams omalizumab significantly improved health-related quality of life with moderate beneficial effect. What is the study? How does the study impact current management guidelines? To facilitate clinically meaningful improvement in health-related quality of life, biologics legalizumab 72 or 240 milligram and 300 milligram omalizumab appear to be effective treatments for H1 antihistamine refractory chronic spontaneous urticaria. This is Scott Sisher. Thanks for listening to this highlights podcast for this theme issue on food allergy. I hope you enjoyed hearing the article highlights and I encourage you to read through this theme issue as the editors are confident the information is valuable to you and your patients.